Our scripture passages this morning are going to begin in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, beginning at the 22nd verse. The 16th chapter of the book of Acts, the 22nd verse. Here Paul and Silas are proclaiming the gospel in the city of Philippi. And a fortune-telling slave girl has been following them around everywhere they went, and she's been constantly crying out, These men are the bond servants of the Most High. Seems innocuous, it was even factual, but it was really getting on Paul's nerves. And Acts says that he was greatly annoyed, literally it says it was wearing Paul out, and he turned on his heels and he cast the demon out of her. And the masters of the slave girl just lost a ton of money over this. And so they seized Paul and Silas and took them to the authorities. And we pick it up in verse 22 of the 16th chapter of Acts. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. I'm going to be answering some crucial questions this morning, and the first one is what the jailer asked. What must I do to be saved? What must a person do to be saved? And the related questions are, then, then what does a person have to believe in order to be saved? If salvation is based on faith, and it is, what does a person have to actually believe? And what does a person have to believe in his or her own heart? And lastly, what does salvation have to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And what is to be believed about Jesus being raised from the dead? So before we get into our text in Romans, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we hear your word this morning, I ask that you would give to each one of us that sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your great mercy that has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that we might obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. And for this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Please turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, 10th chapter of Romans, the 9th and 10th verses. Actually, we're going to start with verse 8, verse 8 of chapter 10. And what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. 
that is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Paul calls this the word of faith which he preaches. Another way to say it, this is the message that calls for faith. It's the message that calls for faith. It's the message that invites a person to that faith when he or she hears it. In other words, the message calls for a response of faith, a response of belief, of trust. When you hear this word preach, it calls you to respond in faith. And this message lays out the way of salvation in a format that shows both the necessity of believing from the heart and the role of public confession. You notice in verse 9 that Paul talks about confession first before he talks about faith. That if you confess with your mouth, and then he talks about belief, and believe in your heart, and we might think that he has it backwards here. You would think that belief in the heart precedes confession with the mouth. But Paul is just putting these in the same order, confession and then faith, as he quoted from Deuteronomy just the verse before in verse 8. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 14, he says, The word is near you in your mouth. That's confession and in your heart. Belief. That's faith. Both all at the same time. And then in verse 10, he puts them back in the opposite order. For with a heart a person believes... And with the mouth, he confesses. Paul is talking about two aspects of the same reality here. The reality of saving faith. What is saving faith? Saving faith believes certain things in the heart and confesses those same certain things with the mouth. While the outward confession, confession with the mouth, a vocal confession stems from an inward, profound conviction in our heart a profound conviction inward conviction that necessarily is expressed outwardly the confession doesn't get you saved the believing in the heart saves you but it's all at the same time because of this this saving faith will be expressed vocally so we're going to look at what saving faith confesses first partly because that's where paul started first we're going to take them in that same order confession then faith not only because Paul starts with that, but because by starting with confession, Paul tells us what we are to believe, what we are to believe. In other words, who Jesus is, who Jesus is and what he did, what we are to believe. And right up front, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Remember the Philippian jailer, Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. In the New Testament, the word for believe is pistuo. Pistuo, you don't need to remember that. It won't be on the test at the end of the service today. Pistuo means to rely on, to put one's trust in. But trust in what? Rely on, on what? It, it needs an object of our faith. We would say a direct object in, in English, but it needs something an object of which we put our trust, on which we rely on. In other words, the Lord Jesus is the object of saving faith. All faith has an object, something that you believe in, something that you trust. 
To have faith in something is to trust that something and to rely upon it. You came into the worship service this morning, and I was up here pretty much the whole time while people were coming in. You came into the worship service, you looked around. You might be looking around to see if there's one particular person that you wanted to greet that morning, but mostly you were looking around to see if somebody took your usual seat, right? You like to sit where you normally sit. And you trust and rely on that particular chair on many levels. First of all, you rely upon that chair because that's your usual spot, and you're the most comfortable, and you're used to sitting around the people that sit, sit on that spot. And then you trust that that chair is going to support you. Every time you sit down, it's an act of faith because you have to rely on, on that chair. The, the object of your faith is the chair. You believe that chair will not let you down, otherwise you wouldn't have sit on it. And you also trust or have faith that you will be as comfortable as possible, not only in sitting, but in location, who's sitting around you, what you want to see, how soon you want to leave, how close it is to the front. It's near someone that you enjoy sitting next to, and that's why you chose that seat. You could have chosen any seat in any church in town, but you chose that seat because you, you trust it for all those reasons. Now, it stands to reason if the object of your faith can be trusted, that you'll put your full weight upon it, right? I don't see any of you pushing up with your legs because you're afraid that chair's not going to, to hold you. You have to put your full weight on it. And if you happen to fall asleep, you put your dead weight on it, and it holds you up. One of the things I regret ever telling anyone who is afraid of flying was this. When you gotta get on the plane, don't put your full weight on the seat. <laughs> but that is the way so many people try to come to Jesus Christ. They're constantly testing to see if he can be trusted. Why? Because they, they don't really trust him. It's kind of like doing the hokey pokey. You put your left foot in and put your left foot out and then you shake it all about. You know, if you're doing the spiritual hokey pokey all the time, you have not put your full trust in Jesus Christ. Faith has an object that is to be trusted, something and someone on which we can fully rely, and we put our full weight on the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, for the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation and all that he does for us. In the Old Testament, Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and it was reckoned unto him, as righteousness. The, the Hebrew word translated believe there means the exact same thing as pastua, the Greek word in the New Testament. It means to rely on, to put one's trust in. Abraham just didn't believe in God. He didn't just believe there is a God. And we'd say today, if he had lived today, he just didn't believe there was Jesus Christ. He could believe that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world but until he put his confident trust and reliance in God, then it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham relied upon God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God was the object of his faith in whom he fully trusted. Now, in verse 9 of Romans chapter 10, we see the who and the what, and we've already talked about this. In whom do we put our absolute trust? In whom do we fully rely? In whom do we put our full weight in? And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess Jesus as Lord. To be saving faith, it must be believed that Jesus is Lord. 
And this means that it must be believed that Jesus is the Lord God, the sovereign of the universe. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. That was the apostolic preaching. And the word Lord points to the deity of Christ. The Greek word that is translated Lord, kurios, is used over 6,000 times in the Greek New Testament for the name, or Greek Old Testament for the name of God. 6,000 times. What must be believed is that Jesus is Lord. And that was the earliest confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. In the Roman days, in the Roman Empire, in those days, some days a wagon would come to your village and there would be Roman soldiers beating drums as it came into the village and they would bring this wagon into the center of the village and it would have incense and it would have all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it had a statue or a replica of Caesar. And every citizen in the Roman Empire was required to go up to that wagon and just take a pinch of whatever it is and give it on the altar, as it were, and say, Caesar is Lord. And when the Christians came, they would say, Jesus is Lord. And they would immediately lose their life at that point to be saving faith it must be believed that Jesus is the Lord and that was the earliest confession of the church it proclaims that Jesus is Lord the sim in simplest terms the words that Jesus of Nazareth is in fact God and the implications of this are staggering it means that Jesus' authority is absolute, unlimited, and universal. And, and we might be thinking, that's a lot to believe, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I thought of this. When one of our sons was two years old, and I, it was nighttime, and I was carrying him out to the van and had him like this and was carrying him out, and it was, it was a dark and there was a full moon shining. And uh, he was always fascinated by the moon. And so he stood there for a minute, we looked at the moon, and he asked, Daddy, who made the moon? And I responded, God made the moon. And he said, Oh, Jesus made the moon. The faith of a child. Don't ever underestimate the faith of a child. Jesus said we need to become like one of these to enter the kingdom of heaven. And about three or four years after that, he came to understand and believe that this same Jesus, God, died for his sins on the cross, and he received Christ and, and was baptized. And then just a few years after that, he was probably about seven or eight years old, and, and I saw that one of him and uh, the neighbor boy were sitting on the steps on our patio, just sitting there outside the, the screen door. You know, they were like seven and six years old, something like that. You know, maybe a little bit older than that, but not much. And I, I heard my son asking the other boy, do you know Jesus? And the boy said, no. <laughs> and my son said, well, that's okay. You will. <laughs> you will. At that young age, a confession with, with the mouth. It's been my experience that in many instances, and if not most instances, the older we get, the harder it is to come to Jesus Christ in faith. Our culture, our society, and everything has a way of turning people into hardened skeptics. Hardened skeptics. Listen to what New Testament Greek scholar Robert H. Mounts says about what it means to believe in Jesus as Lord. 
He writes, those who come to Christ by faith are acknowledging that they have placed themselves entirely and without reserve under his authority to carry out without hesitation whatever he may choose for them to do. There is no such thing as salvation apart from lordship. My notes are out of order here. Good thing I caught that. <laughs> Although our level of obedience may falter from time to time, that does not imply that we can view our responsibilities as if they do not matter. Those who say they intend to have a good time on earth and take a back seat in heaven do not realize there are no back seats for those who approach salvation with this attitude. The outward confession, Jesus is Lord, stems from a profound inward conviction. The confession alone doesn't get you saved, and the believing in the heart saves you, but if this is saving faith, it will be vocally expressed. And then you believe in your heart, that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart. What? That God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Those who come to Christ must believe in their hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead by God the Father. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the very center of the Christian faith. Apart from the resurrection of Christ, Christianity would be no more than some well-intentioned ethical or, or moral system. The Apostle Paul writes, If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith vain also. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Christianity would be no different than any other religion in the world. But it is a fact that within history, God did something. He did something that defies all the laws of nature as we know them, and that something was at the very center of Paul's apostolic preaching of the gospel. So Paul says in verse 10 of Romans chapter 10, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Paul says believing leads to righteousness, uh, to justification. Remember what justification is? We are declared righteous. We are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The attainment of believing brings us that righteousness. And that confessing leads to salvation. But Paul was not talking about two separate processes here. One that leads to righteousness and one that leads to salvation. Because justification and salvation are being used interchangeably in this context. To believe with one's heart means to commit oneself at the deepest level to the truth as revealed and experienced. To commit ourselves at the deepest level, the truth that Jesus is Lord. The truth that he died for our sins on the cross. The truth that God raised him from the dead. To fully rely and trust in who Jesus is and what he did, that's faith. And confession is giving expression and words to that heart, deep heartfelt conviction. J.B. Phillips says, Confession is stating one's belief with one's mouth that confirms his salvation. Those who generally accept the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his deity are willing to go public 
with that conviction. I think of John Calvin's picturesque comment regarding those who say, well, confession's not really necessary. I'm just one of those people that, you know, I don't speak about those things, or I just don't think that that's necessary. It's really not necessary to be vocal about what you believe. And to this, Calvin said, it is quite nonsensical to insist that there is fire where there is neither flame nor heat. Remember the two disciples who walked the road of Emmaus with Jesus? We talked about that last week. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us? Fire within us. While he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And this burning heart of faith expressed itself in confession to one another. They said to one another, immediate confession. So there are many important truths about Jesus that Christians are to believe. But the truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead was, first of all, the supreme validation of Jesus' ministry. The supreme validation. At the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans, he states in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God. Declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. When the Father raised Jesus from the dead, the Father was declaring again that his Savior was his beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. He declared it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he declares it again at the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection from the dead confirmed the truth of everything that Jesus did. Everything he said, everything he is, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. And the resurrection of Christ also demonstrated that Christ was eternally victorious over sin and death. And he was victorious over Satan as well. Romans 4.24 says that it was, For our sakes also, for our sakes also, like Abraham to whom righteousness was credited as those who believe in him, those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Men and women must believe the resurrection of Christ because it proves that he accomplished their salvation on the cross. To believe that God raised Christ from the dead is to identify ourselves with the one who purchased our redemption on the cross and he rose to share eternal life with us as Lord and Savior. You know, this is the wonderful picture in in water baptism. The outward symbol, baptism, is, is a symbol of what has already happened in our hearts because we believe. And baptism is a public confession, a public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. As, as we go down into the water, we identify with Christ in his death and in his burial. He died for my sins. As we come out of the water, we identify with Christ in his glorious resurrection to the glory of the Father. Why? So that we too might walk in newness of life. We live a different kind of life than we lived before because now our life is united with Christ. We become united with Christ at salvation in the likeness of his death and united with him in the likeness of his life. And lastly, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ caused us to be born again, caused us to be born again. Turn over to 
Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And we're going to end here, the first chapter of Peter's first letter, the third verse. The resurrection of Christ was the Father's stamp of approval on his Son. The resurrection certifies that Jesus is the Messiah, the only Savior. He's the sovereign and sinless Lord, the sacrificial lamb who paid the price for our redemption. He is the judge of all men, the conqueror of death, the coming king of kings. And so we close with this passage, which is praising God. It's blessing him. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful portion of God's Word. For our Savior, for you raising him from the dead, Lord, that, uh, that showed that he is everything that he said he was, and he did everything that he said he was going to do, including securing our eternal salvation that we will also be raised one day with that glorious shout from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive will be caught up to meet our Savior in the air. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ, the raised Christ, is sitting at your hand right now making intercession for us. Not only during this hour of worship, Father, but Throughout our whole lives, the resurrected Lord Jesus is interceding for us. Father, we go from here this morning renewed, refreshed, and glorifying you. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.